You know, Jesus went from the mountaintop experience of seeing the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him and hearing a voice from heaven declare, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased to 40 days in the wilderness, impelled by the Spirit, tempted by Satan with wild beasts, being ministered to by angels. He experienced it all as he began his ministry, the heights, the depths, and everything in between. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record for us Jesus' time in the wilderness. But Mark limits his report to two short verses. Matthew expands it to 11 and Luke to 13. And I was tempted to build my sermon around either of the longer reports rather than Mark's, but I didn't. We are going to peek occasionally at the other accounts to flesh out some of the details, but we're going to follow Mark's account this morning and see if we can't discern not only what he said, but hopefully why he said it. So let's read his entire account before we begin. And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. He begins by saying, and immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. So let's start there. Jesus was impelled by the Spirit. Now, Matthew says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Luke says he was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. I think one is indicating that the Spirit led him there, and the other indicating that the Spirit continued to lead him during his time in the wilderness. But Mark says the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And impelled is a, a much stronger word than led. In the Greek, it's ekbalo. And it comes from two words, ek and balo. Ek means out and balo means to cast. It literally means to cast out or to cast forth. Mark actually uses that word several times. He uses it referring to the casting out of demons, to Jesus casting out the, the buyers and sellers of the temple and even to being cast into hell. So it's a very, very strong word. It, it means to drive, to force out or in, as the case may be. And Mark is saying the Spirit forced Jesus into the wilderness. Now, commentators are quick to point out it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was being forced out against his will, only that the Spirit was powerfully motivating him to go. Now, I don't know whether Jesus resisted or not, but I really don't imagine he wanted to go into the wilderness. The wilderness is not a hospitable place 
The word wilderness actually means uninhabited. And it's usually uninhabited for a reason. No one wants to live there. Now, scholars can't determine the exact location of the wilderness into which Jesus was impelled to go, but there are a lot of dry, desolate, wild, uninhabited areas bordering the Jordan River Valley, and it was into one such area that Jesus was driven. Now, Matthew gives us a specific reason for Jesus being led into the wilderness. But Mark doesn't. So let's leave that question open for a moment and simply ask why the wilderness? Well, the most obvious answer is that it's uninhabited. No one is there to distract you from whatever you're there to do or have done to you. And that may be why God spoke to Moses in the wilderness, why Elijah heard the voice of God in the wilderness, and why Jesus often slipped away into the wilderness to pray. The wilderness is a place where you can be alone with God. Now, we treasure our wilderness areas in America, places where we can go to get away from it all. And most of us feel especially close to God when we're in the mountains or the forest or even in the middle of a desert. But the wilderness is usually more than just a place to escape to. It's also a place where we often find ourselves tested. We have shows on TV all the time about the testing that takes place. And many of us have experienced hard times in the wilderness. Uh, I just finished a a really interesting book about uh, an attempt to cross Antarctica. And uh, the ship was trapped in ice. And for almost two years, the men survived. Unbelievable, unbelievable hardships. So the wilderness, not only is a place where we can experience God, it's a place where we can be tested. And that was true of Jesus as well, because it was in the wilderness that he was tempted by Satan. Now, Matthew says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Mark basically says the same thing. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Bottom line, he was there for a time of temptation. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what the temptations were. He doesn't even actually say that Jesus overcame the temptations, but he does consistently in his gospel show Jesus victorious over his enemies. And the force behind all of them is Satan. So I think it's safe to assume Mark would have us understand that Jesus succeeded during his time of testing in the wilderness. But Mark, or Matthew and, and Luke go into details about it. And they tell us of three specific temptations that Jesus faced. Now, Matthew makes it sound like the temptations came at the end of his 40 days. But Luke and Mark both say that he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted. Apparently, he didn't just fast and pray for 40 days and then 
get hit with the temptations. He was tempted throughout his time in the wilderness. And chances are pretty good that all of his temptations were related to the three specifically mentioned as coming at the close of his time in the wilderness. The first temptation that Matthew mentions is the temptation to turn stones into bread. It's most likely a, a test to see if Jesus would trust God and his provision for him. You know, the Spirit had impelled him to go into the wilderness and kept him there for 40 days. There's no indication that Jesus prepared for a trip into the wilderness. So he didn't have his provisions in a backpack. He got hungry, really hungry. Now, Matthew makes it sound like he only got hungry after 40 days of fasting, but I'm sure his stomach was growling long before that. He may have even found himself hoping and wishing that God would send a raven with bread and meat, as he had done for Elijah when he was in the wilderness, but it never came. Now, as we'll see in a moment, it is possible that angels gave him something to eat. But he was hungry when the tempter said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus could have done it. But he refused to use his divine power to satisfy his own needs. He would rely on his heavenly father, the same as we would have to do. Matthew and Luke then present the other two temptations in differing order. They both tell of Jesus being challenged to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple and to bow down before Satan. Now, the temple temptation would most likely be intended to make him rethink the way he would present himself to the world. You know, what a way to, to, to enter into your ministry to do something that would wow everyone. That could have been a temptation for him. And then obviously bowing before Satan came with a promise that if he would do so, his ministry would, would be easier. Satan would make it easier for him. Both temptations focused on the nature of Jesus' ministry, what he was setting out to do and how he would do it. It was, if you please, boot camp for Jesus. His resolve was being tested, and he was being made ready for a three-year march to the cross. And it was taking place in the wilderness. Mark then tells us something that no one else says, that he was with the wild beasts. Now, why did Mark give us that detail? I don't know. We can only surmise most dismiss it merely as a little detail thrown in to uh, intensify the picture of being in the wilderness. And the Judean wilderness was home to leopards, bears, wild boars, jackals, hyenas, and a host of other wild animals and birds and reptiles. So maybe Mark was just trying to flesh out the picture of the wilderness. Or he may have been saying something much more. You know, one commentator latched on to the word with 
you know, with wild beasts, to support the idea that Jesus was being comforted by the wild animals. He even suggested that they curled up with him at night to keep him warm, like Luna does with Levi. That may be a bit of a stretch. But we do have pictures of being at peace with animals during the Messianic age. Hosea quotes God as saying, In that day I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. And I think most of us are aware of Isaiah's prophecy that during the reign of a righteous branch from Jesse's roots, during the reign of the righteous son of David, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, whether this is to be happening now, during the present kingdom age, during some future messianic age, or a picture of heaven and a restored garden of Eden, no one really knows for sure. It may even be simply symbolic of the peace that exists when Christ is king and have nothing really to do with wild animals at all. But I really doubt it. You know, there's a, a place outside of Phoenix. Uh, Marilyn and I have been there twice. And uh, there's a Christian couple. They established a park there where they play with lions and tigers and bears and hyenas. They even jump into the water. And, and these creatures jump in after them and chase them through the water. It, it's, it's an amazing thing to see, and I, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, now, they've raised most of those animals in their home. And uh, they've established, what's without a doubt, a special relationship with them. Now, all is not perfect in the restored Eden. They've been bitten and mauled on occasion. But they certainly demonstrate that relationships between man and animals can be improved and that a semblance of peace can be established at, at least on a limited scale. And we have been given dominion over the animals. We've domesticated many of them and can even train wild predators to accept us as hunting partners. As most of you know, that's what I did with hawks and falcons for, for 25 years. So we can have a neat relationship with animals. And it's possible, it's possible that the wild beasts in the wilderness weren't threatened by Jesus or he by them. And it's just a picture of that uh, companionship, I guess, that might have been there. Perhaps they recognized Jesus as their creator. Maybe, maybe Mark is picturing Jesus as Lord of the jungle. I don't know. It's a neat picture. and I like it. But there's another possibility as well. Mark most likely wrote this between 60 and 65 AD. And he wrote it primarily 
to a Roman audience. In 64 AD, Rome burned. And to get suspicion away from himself and his urban renewal program, Nero blamed the Christians. He initiated horrible persecutions of Christians, burning them as torches in his garden, covering them with animal skins and throwing them to packs of dogs. He even made them face lions and other wild beasts in the arena. Now, we did come to understanding on our trip to Europe that it wasn't in the main arena that we see in uh, Rome that this took place. There's no evidence that it took place there. I was shocked when our guide told us that that was fake news. But I researched it a little bit, and there were lots of arenas around Rome. And Nero definitely persecuted Christians with wild animals because of their faith. So maybe that was what Mark's getting at. Perhaps the reason Mark brought this up was to say that Jesus was with wild beasts. Maybe to assure the the Roman believers that Jesus knew what they were facing, that it was a, a terrifying time even for him because he had faced wild beasts in the wilderness. Or maybe, maybe Mark was wanting to assure them that Jesus was Lord over the animals and even if they were killed in the arena, Jesus was still in control and their future was secure. I don't know. There are several reasons why Mark included that. I'm just glad he did. All we know for sure about it is that he did include it. He then concluded his account of Jesus' time in the wilderness with the words, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, again, Matthew gives the impression that Angels came after the time of temptation was over. He concludes his account by saying, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. But Mark says the angels were ministering to him. The verb tense indicates a continual action and gives the impression that the angels were ministering to Jesus during the entire 40-day period, the same period during which Satan was tempting him and he was with the wild beasts. Now, both accounts, no doubt, are true. Angels ministered to Jesus during the temptations, before them, and after them. How they ministered to him, we can only surmise. You know, when Elijah was ready to give up, having run for his life from Jezebel, an angel brought him a bread cake and a jar of water in the wilderness. When he ate and drank, the Bible says he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God. So I think it's possible that angels gave Jesus something to eat at the beginning or the end of his 40 days. Now, Matthew says he did fast for the 40 days. So he didn't eat during the 40 days, but angels may have prepared him physically for the experience or restored him after it. Now, the word ministering can mean serving of food and drink, but it doesn't have to. And the angels may have simply ministered to Jesus on a spiritual level. 
You know, when he was in agony, praying fervently and sweating as if it were great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke merely notes that an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. His time in the wilderness and his time in the garden were both times of testing and decision-making for Jesus. It's interesting. At the beginning and the end of his ministry, he was being forced to come to grips with what he had come to earth to do. It was very hard. He knew the plan that had been laid out before, before the creation of man that he would have to give himself for us. But he had to have the resolve as a man to do it. His time of temptation prepared him for it. He understood that throughout his three-year ministry. But then as he got to the close of the ministry, he had to face it again because it's going to happen soon. So he goes to the garden where he can be alone and pray and commit himself again. Not my will, thine be done. Sometimes I think we, we minimize the struggle that Jesus had to face to become our Savior. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. He had some hard choices to make, and they were choices. He could have gone back to heaven and said they're not worth it. Or, at the end, he could have called ten legions of angels to protect him. But he didn't. If angels came and helped him, I'm glad to hear it. I don't think that minimizes his resolve at all. It just says he had a struggle to face. The salvation of the world was on his shoulders. And he did not have to face his time of testing alone. I like that. You know, God was with him, and spiritual resources were available to him. He didn't have to go it alone, and neither do we. Neither do we. You know, God is with us, and his spiritual resources are available to us. We may not actually have an angel bring us lunch, but God is watching over us. And there are times when the Spirit impels us out of our comfort zone or out of our box into a wilderness where we're tempted by Satan and maybe frightened by some form of wild beast. It may appear as if we're all alone, facing the unknown, but we're not. Jesus has been there before us, and God is still with us. Because of that, we can go anywhere. The Spirit impels us to go. And because of that, we can sing with confidence, I'll go where you want me to go. Let's affirm that this morning.
the stand